Welcome to Roll Call, a 126th Air Refueling Wing podcast of the Illinois Air National Guard at Scott Air Force Base. I'm your host, Technical Sergeant Brian Ellison. The Roll Call podcast focused on people, mission, and community. Thanks for listening. Coming up, we're talking to Captain Darlene Heiser, the commander of the Comptroller Flight. The 126th Air Refueling Wing is rebooting its mentorship program. You may be asking yourself, what is mentorship? How can I get involved? Will this help my career? Those questions, my friend, and more will be answered Sunday, April 11th at 10 o'clock during the 126th Mentorship Live Town Hall. That'll be on Facebook Live. You can uh, send any questions you have to 126ARW.ARW.mentorship at us.af.mil. The federal income tax filing deadline has been extended to May 17th, but fret not. Miltax uh, from Military One Source includes free, easy to use tax preparation and e filing software designed for situations common to service members and their families. The suite of services include Miltax consultants who can answer your questions and advise you on military specific tax requirements and deductions. Speaking of money and whatnot. Coming up here on Roll Call, we're talking to the commander of the Comptroller Flight. Hi, my name's Senior Airman Gregory Goder. I'm uh, part of the 126 Comptroller Flight, and uh, I'm a financial manager here. My day-to-day job um, would be, I'm an accounting technician, basically, so I'm in charge of all the squadron's uh, purchases, and I make sure they uh, hit the books correctly. What I like most about being in the 126 is I'm an AGR out here, so I work out here full time. Um, with that, I get a bunch of opportunities. Um, traveling is probably my favorite opportunity. Um, I've been to a bunch of cool places like um, Washington State, which was the first time I've ever been there. Um, I also play on the base softball team, um, so I get to travel with them quite a bit as well. I joined the Air National Guard because after college, um, I had a couple jobs I didn't really like. I want to have an impactful career and make a difference on my community. I chose the 126 um, because I could pretty much stay around all my friends and family and still be part of the Air National Guard. I joined the Comptroller flight um, because my bachelor's in business management um, and it kind of just fell hand in hand with uh, working with finances. But one huge benefit I've been taking advantage of is uh, my full-time employment as an AGR. Um, as an AGR, I get um, active duty pay, benefits, and everything that goes along with being active duty, but I get to stay home. Hi, we are the 126 recruiting team. I'm Master Sergeant Heather Wildy, recruiting flight chief. I'm Technical Sergeant Richard Olson, production recruiter. To learn more about career training with the 126, give us a call at 618-222-5701. But, but wait, there's more. Give us a call in the next five minutes and you could qualify for four years of free college tuition. Joining us today on a roll call is First Lieutenant, I'm sorry, Captain Darlene Heiser, the Comptroller, Comptroller Flight Commander, just promoted this morning. You were surprised. It was a surprise promotion. Congratulations. Thank you. All right, we got to begin right away, ma'am, because this comptroller business, mm-hmm. what, what, what is this? It sounds like a word that is just, 
made up? Comptroller? What? I mean, what? What? What is that all about? So let me refer to my official definition. Oh, you because, have an official definition. Well, pretty close. Is that I what mean, the Air Force supplies you? Uh, we'll just say Webster, Mr. Oh. Webster. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, so there's two portions to the comptroller flight. There's financial management and then myself as the comptroller. Okay. So financial management, you're, we're your folks for your pay needs, but also in ensuring that the facilities run. So the electricity, all the bills that have to be paid in addition to your salary. Wow. Um, so then as the comptroller, it's for me to keep a watchful eye that we're doing everything financially responsible, fiscally responsible. So it's not just a pretty made-up name, even uh, though it sounds really good. It does sound. Mm-hmm. It sounds official and very comptroller. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you got you you make sure that uh, I mean you don't only just make sure that we we get paid. What, what other things besides yourself? Because you've mm-hmm. got four or five folks in there that are full time. Actually, um, Maddie Spires, she's not here right now, but she's full time as well. You have a lot of full time folks. Right. We have. If we were fully staffed, so we have vacancies, if you're looking for a position to come into, stop and see us. Hey. Full-time and traditionally. Um, but right now we have eight to nine full-timers. One is out on MVAT orders. Um, so full-time, we're forced here, um, forced to be reckoned with. We're one of the best comptroller flights in the Air National Guard. I will toot our little horn. Toot, toot. So... <laughs> Um, but overall, so yes, we do make sure you're paid, but we do that in 13 different pay statuses primarily. So as an Air Air National Guard member, you know that you can be in many different statuses, active, inactive duty, AGR, civilian, but primarily we deal with 13 statuses here at the 126. So that's a lot of different colors of money floating around if you think about it in that nature. On top of that, or let me go back. So within those statuses, last year we executed 90,000 workdays just for our, was it 850 members in the wing? 90,000 workdays. So that's a lot. That's a lot of duty to pay for. And it is significantly higher because of COVID duty. Right. But that just shows the impact we're making on the state. Um, And then we can move into... Money. So there's operations money. We executed 28 million. So that has to do with flying money, salaries, um, facility maintenance, a little bit of construction, but 28 million dollars in a year. So that 28 million dollars, I don't know. However, whatever pot it comes into, mm-hmm. you're you're are you you're divvying that up, or mm-hmm. who tells you to divvy that up into to whatever pots? Great question. So. Congressionally, they split up our money into categories. Oh, okay. So we have um, military personnel, so our pay status. We have flying money, which maintenance deals with. We have civilian money. We have construction. There's all these different colors, which is the easiest way to think about it. That comes down in certain categories, and we pay those bills or procure the items that we need to for sustainment. So there's a lot of money here at the base. No kidding. We're in our wing, I'll say that. Um, but yeah, we're really busy. So I would say with COVID kicking off last March, our tempo increased two times over. Really? Because we picked up another mission to think about it. So that's, so the, money, the state would give you that money to 
you guys you guys take that money and then kind of de- decide how it's spent. So not the state; it's federal money. Oh, federal, sure. Comes down from the bureau, okay. but it's programmed for specific needs. So our operating costs, um, Comflight gets a portion to pay for our computer upgrades. Right. Um, each organization gets money to pay for whatever their must-pay bills are. So your AGR travel, your technician travel, um, your GPC requests, all the uniforms, the new uniform items we had to purchase last year so that everyone could be in OCPs with their fleeces. So there's a lot that goes into it, a lot that's not seen right. um, on the day-to-day side. So, Do you ever tell the commander stop spending money? Um, I don't tell them to stop. I do my best to advise them the best way – the most fiscally responsible way to spend their money, but that is their money. I sit back and I have their back should they need some advice on which direction to go. I saw you talking earlier to uh, Colonel Olson and you guys were talking about, I don't know, ops money, I guess. I- I'm assuming what uh, you have a lot of conversations with uh, the ops groups command or the group com- squadron commanders and group commanders. Um, yes, they reach out to me anytime. Um, advice when it comes to fiscal matters but formally we meet at least um quarterly to go over the status of funds for the wing um but yeah we have a lot of conversations about money there's there's always a lot of conversations about money (laughs) yeah (laughs) always how has COVID affected your office COVID's affected our office in terms of it's really tested our resiliency and our ability to handle additional stress in the form that members of our wing are receiving a new kind of stress. So in their civilian career, we know that there's layoffs and members are not working, but COVID has given the opportunity to put those members on long extended duty that they may not have gotten unless they deployed. Because in what other experience besides deploying are you going to put on 90 to 100 day orders? and receive those benefits that you get in education, healthcare. So the stress of knowing how important COVID duty is to our members that have laid off has added stress to our flight. Um, Our manpower is one of our issues. Um, Why I'm advocating for anyone that needs a full-time job or (laughs) would like to interview to come see me. We have the work, we need more manpower to do more of the work and keep up with the work. So. In terms of my flight, they are resilient. They are my pillars of strength when I'm having a hard day because I can just see their determination to accomplish the mission, get it done effectively. My hat's off to them. They are doing the hard work. They are doing a great job. So, But what kind of things day-to-day are they dealing with? So day-to-day, they're dealing with Uh, Military pay processing. So when your orders are put into the system and you're extended and extended and extended, Eros doesn't generate that payment for you. It's not all automatic. A lot of our our world is not automatic like we think it should be. Right. So that requires a lot of manual processing. So let's just say to pay you, extending your order, it could take three or four days of processing those transactions to make sure your pay goes through. Um, there's a lot of travel going on in my office, a lot of DTS. Everyone's 
favorite system, I'm sure, <laughs> to navigate. Um, but there's a lot of DTS going on. In budget, Lieutenant Pilashaski has definitely done a, a grand slam of a job of managing FEMA funding, which is paying all of these bills, and working with state leadership to procure FEMA funding. Um, just another color of money to add to our laundry lists of colors of money that we deal with. So, so that, is that something new that FEMA money? Absolutely. FEMA money coming in, mm-hmm. and, and now she's got. How do? What does she do? Does she decide where it goes, or? So she works with the unit to determine how much we need to pay Sergeant Joe in the field for a hundred days, and ensuring that we get the money for his payroll and his travel. Um, the WCC plays a big role in this and facilitating the unit level. What's um, that, WCC? The Wing Control Center. They facilitate all of the COVID needs. Oh, okay. Um, so members going out on duty, coming in, making sure they're medically cleared. Um, so there's a there's just a lot that goes into it. I like to think of it as it's just another deployment. We're just another de- – it's another type of deployment that we're shipping our folks out to. So – Constantly. Constantly. It's just a moving door, a moving rotation. Wow. I I never had realized this. You had mentioned it earlier, like, just thinking that our pay is kind of an automatic thing. Like, Mm -hmm. we go to, we come to, we come to drill, Mm -hmm. we sign in, Mm -hmm. and then by Wednesday, it magically appears in my D, D, uh, my, um. Your checking account. My, or my LES that, hey, Mm -hmm. you're going to get paid in a week. Mm Mm-hmm. Who facilitates, somebody is actually going through, right, mm-hmm. and and touching everybody's so pay, right? There's a lot of hands that touch something like that. So at the unit level, you have two members of your leadership approving that for pay. It then flows into my office for like an audit check, and then it has to flow to DFAS. And DFAS has certain cutoffs through the month, so we're always under a time crunch to try and meet that cutoff so that... For drill, our members can be paid timely within a week. Once you miss a cutoff, you're kind of waiting three or four days for the next cutoff. So our life lives by pay updates. We try to get as much in as we can to meet a pay update. And that, and you're talking about there's hands that touch everyone. I mean, that's true for um, uh, for kind of everything, the DTS and everything like that. The GPC that the units use to purchase items. Touches a lot of hands. There's a lot of eyes over all the money to ensure that we're in compliance and we're operating legally. So there's a lot of hands and a lot of eyes on the money. So okay. So you guys have. So you have. We have sections. You have in our sections. Office. Okay. What are those sections that you have in your office? So in our office, we have Senior Master Sergeant Reed. She's mm-hmm. the superintendent. Then we have what we the services floor. So we have Sergeant Ruiz, Sergeant Mason. Sergeant Coons, Airman Godair, Sergeant Spiker, they're uh-huh. all your services. So as a member, if you come to the counter, you're going to meet one of them to provide whatever assistance you need in your military career. Okay. Now when it comes to the operation of the wing, we have budget, which is mm. Lieutenant Pilashevsky and Sergeant Spires. They handle that $28 million I talked about that the wing needs to operate for the year. Those two alone have oversight of the, the wing's funds, that $28 million. They're both critical to making the wing mission succeed, both as a member and our flying mission. Um, and then on 
On the audit side, we have Sergeant Lepore, who is our financial outside auditor. She's not an actual finance member. Oh. She comes to us from the mission support group on a temp AGR gig, uh-huh. and she does financial auditing as an outside prospector. Um, and then we have Sergeant Wildy, who's our quality assurance. He is my left-hand man or my go-to man about making sure that we are operating within our legal parameters. So he is performing a lot of audits all month, um, whether it's over travel, military pay, budget items, GPCs. Um, He oversees the government travel card program. So if you're delinquent, he's going to get you. Make sure you pay that card off. Um, Yeah, he's a busy man in quality assurance, much like every every QA is, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, sure. $28 million? Mm-hmm. For some reason, I thought it would be a lot more than that. It doesn't seem like a lot. Well, let's switch positions and then well, tell me. I'm sure, it's over- <laughs> I'm sure it's overwhelming, but as far as like an amount of money, I don't know mm-hmm. why I would think it'd be more. I, don't, I mean, I don't know why I would think that. I don't so, know. What if you had to buy an engine for a plane? Ooh, Does that so, come out of that $28 million? I can see where you're going. So when it comes to procuring aircraft parts, right. supply chain management handles that. And oh. that's not money that we touch at the wing. Oh. It's handled centrally um, within their world. I'm not sure if it's active duty or at the uh. National Guard Bureau, but oh. that's centrally managed at a higher level. So we're not actually procuring aircraft parts oh, okay. for the KC-135. Okay, so you're kind of more the operations. You so probably said talking, this already. It probably yep. went over my head. But. No, it's okay. So we're talking that $28 million is the 126 campus Okay. for both our payroll and operating this campus at $28 million last year. Oh, so I it see. It can fluctuate. I'm curious to see how we end this year with MVAT support being, I think, a higher tempo than what our COVID support was. So. With having people out on MVET, how has that affected uh, people, um, How uh, your office uh, meeting that mission? Right. So this is something that is at the top of my daily, weekly, monthly prior priority list. How do we do what needs to get done, not overwork ourselves, and still allow members like um, Sergeant Spires and Sergeant Coons who is a traditional and Maddie is full-time, how do we meet the mission at the campus but still allow for our members to experience life as a guardsman? Right. Being out on MVAD is a great opportunity for Maddie, a full-timer, to experience, have that experience as a guardsman, but we definitely miss her back home. We have to prioritize what gets done, much like I would hope a lot of offices are doing back here at home that some things just become a low priority or we just have to tick it off as it's not getting done and acknowledge it and just move on. So it definitely puts strain on the folks at home, but we want to support those in the field. So Right. What made you want to become an officer? Because mm-hmm. your job is, you're dealing with $28 million. That's, mm-hmm. that's a lot of money to deal with. And uh, you were prior enlisted, so. Yes. I was, so. I actually enlisted with the 126 after I graduated from college. Oh, okay. I, at the time of 2010, I could not find a job in the media industry that I respected myself for. Hey, so now you know not why I'm here. <laughs> so, I mean, as a woman, I found it very difficult to find a position that I felt would be respected in St. Louis within the communications industry. 
that I was just unhappy, completely unhappy. And enlisting in the Air National Guard, a lot of credit needs to go over to now Master Sergeant Amber Brenton in the supply chain management. She was my biggest supporter and advocator for me to join the Guard and give it a chance. And I very stubbornly sat on her porch steps and told her, I'm not doing it if I can't be an officer. I went to college. I read the rules. I can be an officer. And it's that simple. It didn't work out that way. So I enlisted and I was a personnelist and I went over to security forces. Don't give me those eyebrows. (laughs) Um, Chief Rosner and then Tech Sergeant Nancy Redman now Captain Redmond, greeted me with open arms when I walked in those doors. Well, let me tell you, when I first walked into security forces, my first drill over there, (laughs) nobody believed me that I wasn't a cop. And they just immediately put me in PT, morning PT with the cops. Not that I couldn't keep up, but they're just a different breed. Nobody would listen to me every time I yelled, I'm not a cop, I'm a personnelist. I'm not a cop. <laughs> that finally, Tech Sergeant Redmond believed me, and we made it very clear that I was not a cop. So, yes, I started enlisted with them. Then the budget analyst, which is Maddie's job, mm-hmm. opened in finance, and not knowing what I was applying for, I just applied for it. And Colonel Fogarty called me, interviewed me. Um, and out of the candidates, I got selected. So my career in finance started about a year and a half after I enlisted. So, so. what is your degree? My degree is in uh, mass communications and marketing. God bless you. And I'm working in finance. Yep. I got a calculator, though, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my, my degree is in political science, so it's... See? See, yeah. It's, That's but, the thing I love about the Guard, though, that... Yeah. It's, my civilian education does not hold me back to change what I want to do. Um, those around me know that I really want to get over by that aircraft. I want to be next to that KC-135 because outside of here, I'll never get that close to an airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, let alone I can't touch the pedals, so I'm never going to fly it. But, um, yeah, I want to get over there, and that's what I love about the Guard is the ability to change your career and still stay at home, which is what I want to do. I don't, I don't want to leave Illinois. So, so that was what I wanted to get. To. I was expecting you to say, "Oh, I was a finance major. I was a business administration manager so in college." I started my bachelor's degree in financial management, and I dropped out. And I went to mass communications because it was a lot more fun. It, it is a lot more fun. So what made you want to become uh, an officer, uh, the commander of the co- uh, comptroller flight? So definitely two different journeys. I wanted to commission because I felt that I had the potential to live up to the expectations of being an officer. Um, also, staying in the financial career field, I mean, as a guardsman, You have to look at your avenues of being able to advance and progress. So when I, at that time, as a senior airman, I didn't see myself putting on that senior chief stripe in finance. There was many more before me that I didn't want to be held up. But I saw on the officer avenue, if I was selected, that my career could progress forward. And it's ultimately what I wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to make my family proud. My father 
um, was a Marine, enlisted Marine. So just one being one up on him and being an officer is great, but it gave us something to talk about. Um, and he really pushed me for it and said, why not? What's stopping you? So That's awesome. I love how you, you were like, no, I'm, I'm going to become an officer. This is how it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, that's what I wanted. So what was that process like to go from uh, enlisted to officer? What's, that tra- what's the transition like? Let's talk about the f- transition mm-hmm. first. Like, it's, it's a different world, right? Going from enlisted to officer is a difficult transition in and of itself but I feel it's more difficult to do it within the office that you're coming from. Mm. It would be easier um, to establish yourself as an officer should you move into a new, should I move from finance into PA? Sure. I'm just moving into a different world, a different way to establish yourself. When you grow up among your peers um, in this manner, it can prove to be challenging. There's some extra little hiccups in the road, but at the end of the day, we just have to fall back to business and we're military, so we move on, and we just support each other the best we can. How were you, how did you become an What was that process like of becoming, like, I'm going to become an officer? What, what, did you have to wait for mm-hmm. an, an, um, a, position. a position to be open and yep. then take that? Is that how that worked? Yep. So, at least for me, um, being enlisted, you have to wait. Recruiting and retention can correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. You have to wait for the opportunity to be available for you to commission into. So whether you're, um, let's talk about, uh, you was tech sergeant, Chris Ravel. He commissioned and became mm-hmm. a pilot over in ops. Okay. So he interviewed, um, went through the process and was selected. So finding that position to move into as an officer, you have to have. You can't just commission because you want to. Sure. Is that what you did? I commissioned into a different position, so yes. Yeah. Transitioning from an enlisted to an officer position. Um, what's that? What what what's involved? What's involved in that? Anything? Um, uh, getting selected. Right, yeah. but is there like a package you got to put together? Or? There's a lot of paperwork. Um, but I'll be honest. Retention, Sergeant Wildy, um, Heather Wildy helped me a lot with getting that done. So I just signed where she told me to <laughs> and gave her the stuff she needed for me to be sent off to be commissioned. God so. bless recruiting. That's yep. what the, that she's, they're great at that. Mm-hmm. All of them just, just sign here. Okay. I'll just sign here. Yeah, yep. that's great. What do you think it says about the wing that so many, we see so many enlisted become officers. I, mm-hmm. It must be, it's got to be uh, a positive thing. I agree. For the wing. Um, I say that that's a genuine reflection of our ability to mentor and mold those that are enlisted into the position to commission into an officer. Having that enlisted background definitely opens your eyes as an officer to see things differently because you've been in, we'll say, the field side. You've been the working bird. You know what that's like, the daily grind in and out, so that when I moved into an officer, I feel I know how to advocate for my flight. I know how to help them and benefit them. That That's what I'm here now for. I'm going to fight for you. I know what you need. Tell me what you need. Um, and I'm your person to fight for you and advocate for you. So, You were a personnelist, basically, yes. for the security forces. For security forces. And you uh, got... They make you say that every time you say security forces. 
<laughs> they don't make you, but I need to do that because they'll. I don't want them to yell at me. Oh, so. okay. Well, I just thought they were called defenders. Now that's what Chief Henry says every. Well, they five are minutes. defenders, but just test Chief Henry or test somebody. They'll be. They'll go, huh, every time you think security forces, which I love. I love it. So you, you moved into that budgeting position mm -hmm. uh, that was full-time, I, yes. I take it. So did, where, where did, you all, did you have to go to tech school for yes. finance? Mm -hmm. Oh, so you went to tech school so for finance. So I had to cross-train from personnel into finance um, to accept that position. And oh, okay. then technically you're cross-training again to become an officer sure. because your career is starting over again. OTS. OTS and then also a technical school as oh, well. Oh, really? So. So what was OTS like? Well, would you like to hear my favorite story about OTS? Oh, of course I want to hear because uh, Lieutenant Garza was just in here saying uh -huh. uh, saying great things about OTS. Well, this um, this story is about Captain Redman. Oh. How... <sighs> All right, Captain Redman. Here we go. I'm putting you on blast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so before I left for OTS... Then Lieutenant Redman, I asked her, you know, what do I need to know? I'm really nervous about going. It's like BMT all over again. Sure. And she says, well, you know, don't stress that first day you get there, you're just going to get there, check in, let them know you're here. A bunch of us went and got a meal. And then when you wake up in the morning, it's game on. It starts. So I'm like, okay, great. So I drive all the way to Maxwell. And I don't stop. And I'm like, I'm going to get there. I'm going to check in. I'm going to go eat. It's like 3 o'clock. Well, I pull up to our dorms, and there are three MTIs standing at the end of the sidewalk at the parking lot yelling <laughs> at the cars as they go by. And they're just screaming and screaming, and I can see people hustle and bustling. It is not what Lieutenant Redman said. <laughs> Not at all. So I drive around the parking lot and I leave and they wave goodbye to me as I leave because I'm hungry. I'm going to go eat. Um, and I come back and when I get back, they remembered me and they kept calling me princess. And oh, no. I eventually got to a point where I kind of broke. I think it was around six o'clock. And I told the TI, I was like, look, my friend told me when I got here that it, I was going to check in. I could go eat. Well, he set us up a little dining table in the middle of the common room with pretend candlesticks, and he made me have a pretend dinner with him because he wanted to give me what I wanted, a dinner, my first night there. <laughs> so later that night in the dorms, I hid in my closet and called Nancy and yelled at her. I was like, you set me up. You, it was not like that. So the rest of OTS, I was called uh, Officer Candidate Princess by one MTI. Oh, thanks, Nancy. For eight weeks. Mm -hmm. For eight weeks. Uh, what's what's uh, what's uh, OTS like? So when I went to OTS, it reminded me a lot of BMT. Oh, okay. The first couple of weeks, but then once you earn your pennant on your staff for yeah. marching, you're pretty much on your own, and they want you to figure it out. Um, they put you in this mock wing setup with. Oh, okay. Cadets being a wing commander, group commander, flight commanders, and you're trying to operate as a wing as they slowly let go of the reins. And then you end up being self-sufficient the last two weeks to where they're not around at all. So wow. it was like BMT, but ended, ended well. Um, but now OTS, Courtney went through it not long ago, and yeah. it's completely different because oh, really? of COVID. Oh, uh, yeah, so. 
Yeah, the, uh, Lieutenant Garza was saying that a lot of it, they were like, you have to figure it out yourself. Yeah, but they, so. And, ne- and it, your, your answer is never the right answer. No, your answer is never the right answer. But I'm bitter because when I went to OTS, it was like BMT. You had to lock your phone up. You didn't get any of that outside communication. Now OTS candidates are on their phone every night. What? Yes. Oh, that's not even cool. No, they need their phones taken away. I, I would agree. I would say they need pay phones and they should go to the BX and get quarters for their pay phones yep. and only use it on Sundays. But yes. that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, you talked about mentors. Who have been some mentors that uh, that have helped you along? Um, mentors that have helped me along. So over the years, a lot of my mentors have been women. Women have inspired me. I've come from a family that has strong women in it. So my mother, um, she definitely inspires me by her resilience um, and her strength throughout the years of ups and downs. She's a breast cancer survivor. She is a now almost nine or 10 year international traveler. She teaches English as a second language in China. Um, She has been home though the past year for COVID, but... um, she is one of my biggest mentors. My little sister, Anne, is active duty. She is an inspiration to me. She just grabs life by the horns and takes it for a ride. Um, and she's seen a lot of the world by being fearless. So it's inspiring um, to see that from her. Um, I like Mel Robbins. You know who that is? Mm. So Mel Robbins... Um, is a women political figure. Figure. She's a very business savvy, um, who has put out there her her failures in business and life, and reinvented herself, and helps you find a way to stand on your feet. Um, she has something that she calls the five second rule. So, I am no longer a snoozer. I don't hit the snooze in the morning because you got five seconds to decide what you're going to do. Alarm goes off. Five, four. Three, two, one. Get up. It's time to go. We're not hitting the snooze because those five seconds throughout your day could change your life in any direction. So try it with something simple. Getting up might Get up be, in the morning. Get up in the mornings would be a go great Go wash start. your bowl after lunch. Don't procrastinate. There's a lot of things. So um, Mel Robbins. What about here in the wing? So I know I joked about Nancy Redman, um, but since I enlisted, she has been um, my biggest mentor, whether she knows it or not. Um, so Nancy, I admire how she thinks and how she balances being open-minded without compromising her integrity or her values and knowing where she wants to go in life. Um, quite frankly, not putting up with crap respectfully um, she definitely keeps me in line, but she's helped me a lot. Um, another mentor, he's not, um, he's retired now, Chief Rosner. Um, he was the chief over in security forces when I came in. I don't know, were you ever no. able to meet him? No, I never met him. He's a great man. He, he has pushed me since day one, knowing that I could do better, knowing that I wanted more and that I could do more, that. When I got the interview for the budget analyst position from Colonel Fogarty, I almost denied it because I was scared 
of change, which is just in my nature to be scared of change. Yeah, I think it's natural for almost people. Most people, right? Yeah. And Chief Rosner immediately told me, "What are you doing? You need to get over there. One, so you can give us money because cops need more money, and two, why why would you stay here? That's a full time job." So he. Um, now retired, he's still a big advocator for my best interests. So I appreciate them both. Why? Why did you join the Air National Guard? I joined the Air National Guard. I'll be completely raw. I was defeated by the civilian world and finding a job. I know what you mean. Uh, so much to the point that my husband and I were engaged. I felt defeated. And not being able to bring in an income that I didn't want to get married. I didn't want to have children. I didn't want to make a commitment to someone to create a life to where I couldn't be a contributor for more than $12 an hour. Mm-hmm. Like, you just can't, you can't live that way. Mm-hmm. So, I, I was at a rock bottom, to be completely honest. And um, Amber Brenton just smacked me around a little bit and said, give the guard a chance. It'll at least be another part-time job. And now I here I am, 11 years later, full-time employment for almost 10 years and a captain, so. It's pretty good. Yep. That's I'd awesome. I'd say it fared pretty well. Yeah, I would, uh, I would totally agree with that. I, I was, I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat. I went and got, I mean, I was already a radio DJ, mm-hmm. but I thought I need, to get a, I need to get a degree. So I got my political science degree. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make a, something out of that. Couldn't get a job. Got a master's mm-hmm. in pol- public uh, policy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make a career out of that. Never got anything. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, you know, I lived in Wyoming, so I was far away from everything, but we finally moved back home, mm-hmm. and Scott Air Force Base is in my backyard, and I'm like, this, and finally I can make a career mm-hmm. and have a life yep. that I couldn't before because it's just, the, the job market just beats you down. It's just like, what am I doing wrong? It does, and they just... They want to handcuff you to that degree. And even though, yes, that's what your degree is in, but you're so much more than that. Mm -hmm. And you have so much more to offer than that piece of paper says that you majored in. And yeah, it was difficult. I I know exactly where you're coming from. Why did you, so where'd you go to college at? Uh, SIU Edwardsville. Awesome. Are you sorry from around this area? Yep, born and raised in St. Jacob. I don't know if you know that little town. No, ma'am. So St. Jacob... When I grew up, was a small town of 850 people. Where's that? Oh, God, I don't know my directions. Uh, over by Highland in Troy. Um, okay. I think uh, I, now I'm start, it's starting to come to me. <laughs> so there's Troy and Highland. And of course, Rout. I grew up on the other side of the river. So oh, Missouri. All, this, this, whole, this whole east side of the metro is mm-hmm. like, is uh we we don't we're we're snobs over there. Let's be honest. We don't go over to the side of the river. So no. uh, it's Saint, all foreign to us over here. Foreign. Well, so where I'm from is very agricultural driven. Okay. So okay. if you see a tractor coming down the road, you don't have the right of way. You need to get off <laughs> into the ditch and let them go by. Funny so. story about being over on the east side. My mom. I don't know why. What this is all about. She made me go stay with a friend of hers who lived mm-hmm. in Columbia, Illinois. Uh-huh. And I was like 10 or 11 years old. And these kids thought I was the coolest thing in the world because I was from St. Louis. Because we don't ever go over there. Like, that's a big river to cross. As I was like, <laughs> but you guys are in Columbia. You can s- almost see the art. I mean, and I know it's just from the south, mm-hmm. but it was just the weirdest thing. Like, that was like this big city slicker from from the city. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this is Columbia, Illinois. We're, we're not far from 
See, when I was a kid, we didn't go into the city unless it was like a field trip or we were going to the Cardinals game. Like, we just stayed in Madison County. That's weird. That's just, it was always a a weird, I mean, I know it's on both sides. I mean, we we don't go over here and you guys, I guess, don't go over there. I don't know what (laughs) the deal is with that. So why did you, I mean, it's probably an obvious question. Why'd you choose the 126th Air Refueling Wing? Uh, Quite frankly, I chose it because I never... Not that I never want to leave, because I definitely want to travel. Right. Uh, I definitely want to see the world. But I didn't want to go active duty, because mm-hmm. I didn't want to be told what to do, where to live, how long to stay. Right. I don't want to be told what to do. Yeah. And the 126 is a 30-minute drive from my house. So. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, after being active duty, mm-hmm. just being home mm-hmm. is so nice. Yep. I'm definitely a homebody. I want to be home. Right. And being able to serve our country, mm-hmm. and be home is pretty best awesome. Best of both worlds. It is the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. It is so awesome. You were talking about uh, positions available in uh, mm-hmm. your uh, in the in the comptroller flight. Yep. What, how does uh, someone uh, find out more about these jobs? So you definitely need to stop by recruiting and talk to them, but we have two traditional positions that are staff sergeants. We also have a tech sergeant AGR announcement hitting the streets any day now. So mm. if you're looking for full-time employment, I, uh, you definitely should apply for it and interview with us. Here in the near future, we'll have another AGR position opening up um, as a member transitions their career into a different aspect. Um, so we have full-time opportunity and traditional opportunity. Stop and see recruiting. Or please stop and see me, and I will walk you to recruiting, and we'll take care of you together. You know what I want to? You know what I need uh, help, your help with, ma'am? Yes. Is uh, I try. I need to get Captain Redmond on here. Uh, Nancy, as you mm-hmm. referred to her, mm-hmm. she, because you were sick half this week. Mm-hmm. I said, ma'am, if uh, then Lieutenant Heiser doesn't come on, then mm-hmm. you are coming on in her position. You just and have she, to tell her. And she and she said, fat chance. <gasps> Absolutely not, Nancy. You just have to tell her, ma'am, I need you to report at this time. Don't give her the option to tell you no. Well, you know what Colonel Jackson told me? What's that? He said, anybody that says no to you, you just tell them I said they need to be on the podcast. Well, remind her who signs her paycheck. <laughs> that could be me or Colonel Jackson, so we both want her on here. All right, that is uh, Captain now. Yeah. Captain Darlene Heiser, the uh, Comptroller uh, Flight Commander. Ma'am, thanks for joining us. Is there anything anything else that we didn't talk about that you want to talk about? I just want to give a shout-out to my flight. They're doing an awesome job. Um, keep up the great work. And if you're going to stop in and see us, remember that you need to be nice to finance. Nice to finance, and we'll pay you a lot faster. Sweet. <laughs> All right. Thank you, ma'am. That's uh, Captain Darlene Heiser, the uh, Comptroller Flight Commander. Ma'am, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. With your look around the Air Force, I'm Staff Sergeant Britt Crowley. The aviation community is one of the least diverse in the Air Force, according to Air Force Chief of Staff General C.Q. Brown. To change that, Brown said young people from culturally diverse backgrounds need better exposure to aviation career fields early on. The comments came after the Air Force released a new Rated Diversity Improvement Strategy, or RDI, to increase diversity within aviation career fields through three main goals. Attract and recruit the best talent from diverse backgrounds, develop and retain the Air Force's best rated aircrew using diversity as a force multiplier, and optimize diversity advancement efforts. 
RDI's end goal is an agile and diverse force, approaching challenges from various perspectives. General Brown also just launched his concept of a leadership library. Instead of the traditional reading list senior leaders have had in the past, the library will have a fluid set of media Brown has explored personally. The General spends part of each day reading, listening to podcasts, and learning more about leadership and current events, and he hopes airmen do some of the same. Brown also said part of the reason the U.S. Air Force is the greatest in the world is because of the continued search for knowledge and aspiring to challenge the status quo. He adds that airmen should be deep thinkers and continuously find ways to build a better Air Force and Space Force for current and future airmen. This year's Spark Tank winner is Master Sergeant Justin Bauer for his innovative method for C-130 Hercules transport aircraft wheel repair. Spark Tank gives airmen the chance to submit ideas to improve everyday operations. Over 300 submissions were sent in this year. Bauer's new tool design to fix C-130 wheels enables any facility across the DoD to support the process and increases the Air Force's ability to keep the fleet healthy and reduce time and cost needs. The idea was selected from a group of five finalists. And that's your look around the Air Force. If you are having thoughts of suicide or know someone in crisis, call the Military Crisis Line, one 800 273 Talk. That's 1-800-273-8255. Military members, press 1. There is a chat lifeline also. You can chat through their website, suicidepreventionlifeline.org. That's suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Another way to uh, get help is the crisis text line. Text help. That's H-E-L-P to 838 255, the crisis text line. Again, text HELP to H, that's HELP, H-E-L-P, to 838-255. You can find all of our links on Linktree, linktr.ee forward slash 126ARW. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, you can also download this on your favorite podcast app. If you want to pass along some information, you can email roll call at 126.arw.pa.mm.org at us.af.mil. Thanks for listening to Roll Call, a 126th Air Refueling Wing podcast focused on people, mission, and community. I'm Tech Sergeant Brian Ellison. <laughs>